Amen. Great job. Let it be Jesus above all things. May he have the preeminence in all of our lives. Title of the message this morning, Signs and Wonders from Acts chapter 5. I'd like to invite you to take your Bible, if you have one, to turn in Acts chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. For the foreseeable future, we will be journeying our way uh, through the rest of the book of Acts. We have previously, starting at the beginning of this year, uh, went through the first four chapters, and now we'll pick back up in chapter 5 this morning. And then we'll take a brief two-week break in September to focus on church membership. Membership matters. We'll do a two-week series on that as we start off the school year, and then we'll jump back into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, to give you some context and to help us remember what was going on here in Acts chapter 5, the early church had taken off. The Holy Spirit came, just as Jesus promised, and tongues of fire, and the disciples were shocked. They were, they were shocked, but at the same time, they shouldn't have been because it's not like the Lord did not warn them and tell them that was going to happen. And so by this time in Acts chapter 5, Peter and John had already been arrested, and they have already gotten out of jail. Peter had preached two sermons, bold sermons. People were coming to know Christ like crazy. Acts chapter 4, verse 33 is a great context to help you understand what's going on. The Bible says, with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. A resurrection, what they're talking about, is when Jesus physically came back to life. That was a big deal. Because if people don't come back to life, the walking dead is just a TV show that doesn't happen. And so Jesus came back to life and he was he was walking around, except he wasn't walking dead. He was walking alive. He was eating breakfast. And then at the end of chapter 4, some people, moved by the Holy Spirit, began to sell their property. And they began to give some of the proceeds to the early church. This is a crucial time. Anybody ever been in a city where a Chick-fil-A shows up for the first time? It's going to happen in Bay St. Louis. Because my wife is praying it so. But if you've ever seen it happen, they come in, they go to every school, they go to every business, they want to be a partner. And they give thousands upon thousands and upon thousands of dollars. Free Chick-fil-A for life. uh, Free coupons for the next five years. And they just blow it up and blow it up. And then guess what happens? That momentum that they gained during that first week carries on until the Lord Jesus comes back. And it, have you ever been to Chick-fil-A and doesn't have anybody in it? Exactly. And so it, it works. And so here in the early church, these are crucial weeks. It's a very crucial time in history. And they didn't have any money. The, the early church didn't have a lot of resources. And so that's why God began to move upon these early members hearts to be very sacrificial because this is a crucial time. And the end of the book of Acts tells us that these people turn the world upside down. And so let's see what happens here in Acts chapter 5 during these crucial days. And let's read. We'll start in verse 1 and then we will go to verse 11 and then we'll come back to do verses 12 through 16, okay? Acts chapter 5, verse 1, if you're with me, say, freedom. Freedom. 
All right. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira. Now that's how we pronounce these names in the South. Ananias and Sapphira. But in the Greek, it is Hananias and Sapphira. But that sounds kind of strange, so we come up with our own way to say it. Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of property. And with his wife, his being Ananias, his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, who are the apostles? They are the 12 disciples that Jesus had, okay? The, the 12 men that gave up their lives to follow the Lord for three years. Nothing special about them except the relationship they had with the Lord. Okay, back to verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived the deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Wow. So if you were paying attention, you realize that here in, in Acts chapter 5, the text that we have read, what happened? Two people have died. Okay? You say, is that how God operates? Well, sometimes. He wanted the early church to understand the importance that He is a holy God, and he will not be mocked. There's five truths I'd like to share with you this morning for taking notes. Number one, every follower of Jesus needs a wingman if we are going to follow completely. I'll say that again. I was always the student in class that the teacher would say something, and I, I would try to take notes. It just never worked out because they would say it so fast and I couldn't keep up. And I got frustrated, and so I just learned to just sit and listen. I learned better that way. Some people are note-takers, some are not. Some people like to do both. I'm not that talented, but maybe you are. Every follower of Jesus needs a wingman if we are going to follow completely. 
in the United States Air Force, a wingman is a pilot in a plane that flies just outside and behind the right wing of the leading aircraft to be there in case something happens. To be there to watch over the blind spot of the pilot, the head pilot. We all have blind spots in our life, don't we? You ever been in a car and you're about to, you, you fail to look over your shoulder like you're supposed to and, and you start drifting a little bit and your co-pilot says, hey, there, there is a car. That ever happened to you? Or maybe you have one of these, these uh, fancy cars that it starts dinging at you. Uh, or maybe your car is really special and it just, the steering wheel just gets back in your own lane. Boy, that's something. But we all need a wingman. So the question is, who is your wingman? You say, well, I don't know if I need a wingman, friend. Here in Acts chapter 5 shows us the very reason we need a wingman. Because we are all one step away from stupid. And that's what happened in this chapter. You say, Ananias and Sapphira, many wonder, are, are they in heaven? And I kept thinking about that as I'm going through this. And, and I'm just going to tell you, and you don't have to agree with me, but I believe they're in heaven. I believe they're in heaven because they were already a part of the early church. They, they were selling their property and wanting to give and wanting to be a part of it. They were already there. I believe that they were in the church. Now, some people may not agree with that. That's okay. You have permission to be wrong, but we'll find out. We, we will find out when we get to heaven, and we'll know, won't we? We're gonna, I, I think we're going to see them, but we may not. And if we, we did it, we know they had a, every opportunity. But every believer needs a wingman. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. We all need that. We all need accountability. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 24, verse 6 says, For by wise guidance you can wage your war. And in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. The problem with the church in America is there's too many Lone Ranger Christians trying to go it all by themselves, trying to take on their battles, trying to take on their family, trying to take on life, trying to take on work, all alone. Now you have the Holy Spirit, but God in His sovereignty has ordained for us to work together. And we all need those people in our life that can ask us any question about anything at any time. Do you have some people like that in your life? Do you have some people... I'm so thankful for the people in my life, the many pastors that I get to have lunch with sometimes, and they can ask me any question. People, close friends of mine, we all need people that can speak into our life and help us see our blind spots. Here in Acts chapter 5, Sapphira was supposed to be Ananias' wingman or winged woman. It says that he sold the property with his wife's knowledge. He kept back for himself some of the proceeds. Truth number two. Every action, every action is determined by the object of our contentment. Every action in our life is determined by the object of our contentment. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Let me explain. 
the, the sin that Ananias and Sapphira made, it was not that they kept back part of the proceeds, okay? Nowhere in the early church did the disciples say, everybody needs to sell your property and bring all 100% of the proceeds to the church. That's not what they prescribed. People did that out of their own feeling led of the Lord. But the sin of this, this sweet couple, and I think they are sweet, they just made a big mistake. We'll find out. But their sin was they lied about how much they were giving. You see, they, they told people that were given all the proceeds, but then they only gave part of it. And that's where they messed up. That's where their sin was. It wasn't that they held some money back, but it's that they said such and such. This is what they're giving, but then they lied to the, to the Lord, to, the, to each other, and to the Holy Spirit. Now, why did they do this? It's a good question. If you examine this, it seems like that Ananias wanted a pat on the back, just like Barnabas. Barnabas did the same thing at the end of chapter 4, except for he gave all his proceeds, and just as he said. It seems like for Ananias and Sapphira in the early church in this day, that Jesus was not enough for them. And there's many times in our life when the Lord Jesus is not enough. We may sing that way, we may try to act that way, but deep down, we need some more things. We need some more contentment. We need something else to fill us. And friend, the day we start looking for satisfaction or contentment in anything else except for the Lord, tragedy will strike our life. Maybe not tragedy, but we will be miserable, won't we? When we look for popularity, or we look for a certain amount of resources, or we look for a certain kind of status, or we look for any kind of recognition in this world, other than what the Lord Jesus gives us, it causes us to make bad decisions. Why do you do the things that you do? Think about it. Think about your schedule. Think about the things that you participate in. Why do you do those things? Ananias did this to impress others. His happiness was dependent upon other people's emotional support. So his mistake was he began to not look to Jesus. We just sang about it. Only Christ. Only Jesus. Can you say that? Can you say with, as we were singing, my God, my Savior. My, I mean, is, is the Lord your personal God? Really? He wants to be, and He can be. Paul talked about contentment in Philippians chapter 4. He says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's what Paul said. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, placing, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says, I've learned whatever the situation to be content in my walk with the Lord. Does that describe your, your Christian life? That you're content in Christ? That you don't have to have a great week in the world's eyes? Everything doesn't just have to be rosy for you to have the joy of the Lord? I mean, where do you get your contentment from? Whether the stock market's doing great? 
whether your job's going well, whether everything in your family's just right, and I don't know any family like that. Where does your contentment come from? And friend, the, the good news of the gospel is that we can be content in Christ. We can be free. We can have a smile on our face, whatever comes at our life. The secret to contentment requires no courageous works or a pat on the back. Contentment is found in childlike faith in a good father who understands our needs. So you want to know the secret to contentment? Here it is. You ready? Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the secret. You see, sometimes we want to see God. We're, talk, we're about to talk about signs and wonders. And sometimes we want to see God move so bad and, and do something that we become unhealthy to a place where the Lord's not enough anymore. We need to see something extra. And that's how heresy starts. That's how unhealthy biblical Christianity begins, is when we need something extra when we've been given all of Christ and we've been given Him His Spirit. That should be enough. So the secret to contentment is trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, we're created to trust, but sometimes we don't do it. And when we don't trust in the Lord, guess what happens? Fear comes, and it robs us of our joy. Fear that, is my life going to count for eternity? Fear, is my family going to be okay? Fear, am I going to be able to pay all my bills? It's a very real thing. I'm not saying this is easy to trust in the Lord. It's hard to trust in the Lord, right? But because he, of who He is, because He has never ever let you down, He's not about to start now, we can trust Him completely. We can trust Him for our emotional needs, our physical needs, and we're rewarded with His sufficiency. Trusting in the Lord means that we forgive and let God be the judge. Trusting in the Lord means we turn to Him instead of other things for fulfillment. Trusting in the Lord means we press on when things get hard. Trusting in the Lord means we turn away from temptation even when we don't feel like it. Trusting in the Lord means when we make the right choice, not the easiest or the most popular. Are you trusting in the Lord today? What's the object of your contentment? Your car? There's some young people in that, and they, some high schoolers, and man, their contentment is wrapped up in that nice, shiny automobile. One day it's not going to be shiny. One day it's going to be rusty. So that will fade quickly. Number three, every decision... Number three, if you're taking notes, every decision we make has a consequence. Every decision that we make has a consequence. And that is what happened here with Ananias and Sapphira. They made a decision to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It's a lie. And their consequence was this. Death. Physical death. Now, does this mean God didn't forgive them? No, if they, were, if they were born again, they were completely forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future. So they were clean because of Christ, if they came to know Him. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by His amazing grace, right? And so, did God forgive them? Well, if they were saved, absolutely. But there are, even when we, when we sin, God may forgive you totally, 
and he will. But there are very real consequences for our actions. Did you know that? It's like a speeding ticket. And you, you, you try to justify it. At the end of the day, the law says, and you were breaking the law. You don't have to like it, but you've got to pay. You may say, God, would you forgive me? He will. But he also expects you to pay. So every decision we make has a consequence. Ananias and Sapphira threatened the unity of their church by their deception. They tried to deceive. They tried to trick people. You know who the author of deception is? The devil. He is the chief deceiver, the tricker. He deceives people. He is a liar. He is crafty. He's not walking around with a red face and horns. He's walking around good looking. He's walking around all righteous, all wonderful. And he can trick you, friend, if you're not walking in the Spirit. He wants to destroy your life. You notice who messes them up? It's mentioned here. Did you catch it? About Satan. Verse 3. Peter says what? Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? a lie. Who was the instigator? Satan. You know, this, this idea of selling this property and keeping back part of it, it may not have even originated with Ananias. But he thought about this idea and he thought, oh, I like that better. I can have the recognition and help people, but I can also uh, make some money off of this sale. And that's where he messed up. Listen to the liar. You know, the moment that King David in the Old Testament, the moment he added the second wife, which Deuteronomy clearly said that God wishes for people to get just one wife, uno wifeo. And so, but David, the moment he decided to add a second wife, his life began to go crazy. For the rest of his life on earth, he faced difficulty and struggle because of that sin. And I don't know why he thought it would be a good idea to add a third, but he did. Now, he was still saved. He still, God still loved him, but there were consequences in his life for his decisions. Moses was not able to enter the promised land. Why? Because he did not fully obey the Lord. He did not do exactly what God had told him to do. Moses, like the, the Captain America of the Old Testament, even Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because he did not do what God said to do when God said to do it. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is God holy? Is he serious about what he expects out of his children? And I would say, absolutely. The world is not going to tell you what you're going to hear from the Word of God. The world will say, do what feels good. Do what you want to do. Don't worry about getting married. Do whatever. Don't worry about who you're going to hurt. Do whatever's in it for you. But friend, God is the creator of the cosmos. And he has given us his law. And when we break that law, there are serious consequences. And our bad decisions have negative consequences. But our right, holy, good decisions also have consequences. 
positive consequences. Billy Graham, a great evangelist, was a pastor of a church. And his decision to leave that church and to enter by faith into a lifetime of being an evangelist was a great decision. And God honored that decision by using him, not because of he was a great preacher, but because of his humility and his obedience. He helped win many millions of people to Christ. What positive consequences are going to happen tomorrow because of your decisions and my decisions today? You know, God is the same today that He is in the Bible. And some people don't believe that. Some people just think that, I guess at the end of the book of Acts, the Lord just packed up and went home. And I would say that's not biblical. Our God is not a past tense God. He's a present God. A very good help in a time of need. Number four, fourth truth this morning. Every person feared the Lord in the church. Every single person feared the Lord in the early church. Do you fear the Lord? I mean, really, do you fear God I'm not talking about a fear like you you hide in the corner and wait for a lightning bolt to strike you. Or to to be paranoid every time you close on your house or a piece of property that you're going to die. That's not the kind of fear that God's talking about. The fear that the Bible talks about is a healthy respect because of who He is and who we are. But every person in the the early church, they feared the Lord. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these things, he fell down and breathed his last. And what happened? Great fear came upon all who heard of it. Look at verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Do you fear the Lord today? You see, when we fear the Lord, it changes how we talk. When we fear God, it changes how we walk. When we fear God, it changes how we date, young people. When we, when we fear the Lord, it changes the music we listen to and the things we watch on television, and it changes our actions and what, what gives us passion and excitement. When we fear God, we do things His way. And His way is the best way. Absolutely the best way. The result in this supernatural action was fear among all the people. And that's what God wanted. I believe that's why God intervened and caused this to happen because He wanted them to understand that they were a part of the most important thing on the planet. And today, if you're a part of Christianity, if you're part of this church, modern 2019 church that is global, by the way, then you're a part of something very special. But you're also a part of something very serious. You are a part of the most fun thing on the planet and also the most serious thing on the planet. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter was writing, the Apostle Peter, and he writes, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, at that time, do you know who was in charge of Rome? Evil emperors 
all about themselves, lewd lifestyles, did whatever felt good, evil, evil people. Rampant immorality in the streets. And Peter is saying to submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do what's right. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he says this amazing statement. He says, honor all people. Honor all people. You know what's interesting about that Greek word, all? You know what it means? All. Honor all people. That means you can't get on social media and just blab off about whatever politician you disagree with. Because the Bible says that we should honor all people. Even if they are wicked, even if they are deceptive, even if they want to kill you. Peter says, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Revere the Lord, Peter says. Do you revere the Lord today? You know, the Bible is very clear about revering the Lord when it comes time to take the Lord's Supper. When we come time to take the bread and drink the juice, which is symbolic, by the way, of the gospel. When we take time, we should have a clean heart. We should have any unconfessed sin in our life. We need to get that right before we take the Lord's Supper. So do you revere the Lord? If you revere the Lord, then friend, why do you have certain things flashed across your television at home? Ladies, why, why do we still watch some of these soap operas that are filled up with adultery? Why, why do we just love TV shows? Example, like the, the, the sitcom Friends. You know what I'm talking about? TV show? I mean, it's funny, the good comedy. But it's every time somebody's sleeping with somebody else. And we wonder why we have adultery in the church. We, run to, we wonder why... Lives are being ruined and children's mom and daddies are not coming home. And we wonder why there's so much heartbrokenness. It's because we're not doing things God's way. You see, God's people view the Lord as holy. And whether you believe it or not, He still is. He's holy. We shouldn't touch unholy things. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to notice the beam in your own eye? Jesus said this, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But yeah, Lord, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so did that. And the Lord Jesus said, Hey, you have a log in your own eye. You need to shut your mouth. You need to look at your own life. And that's what you do when you fear God. You look at your own life and say, Lord, help me. Live a right and holy life. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Men of God, is that your life? Then when all this junk in our culture pops up, do you bounce your eyes? And that's how you have to do it. Like a ping pong ball. You just, just up, oh, look the other way. One of the, some of the difficult years of my life is when I was going to the campus of uh, Ole Miss, home of Miss Americas. And I would go to school, I'd have on a hoodie, 
as a young man, I wasn't in the ministry yet. And, I, and if I was going to be a man of God, I had to put my hoodie on and look at the ground. Friend, you have to, I'm not, I'm not kidding. You got to do what it takes to be holy. And there, there, some people will mock and say, well, that's foolish. Well, guess what? You're going to be one of those that the devil entices. You're going to be one of those that says, oh, that never happened to me. I would never think about another woman than my wife. Or I would never think about another man than my husband. Friend, if you say it will never happen to you, you are a great candidate for the devil to sift like wheat. And it's not fun. Having couple after couple after couple in Hancock County want to call the Baptist pastor to counsel them because of this decision they made. Or that decision. And there's forgiveness in Christ. There's total forgiveness. But there's consequences for our actions. And if we do not fear the Lord, then our county and the Gulf Coast will face the consequences of our actions. Because we are the lighthouse. We are the ones that know better. We are the ones that have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. And there are no excuses. And so we need to tighten up. We need to get real with God on this day, today. Get right with the Lord. Don't listen to the liar. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He's an instigator. He's a fool. Don't listen to that voice. You don't have to listen to that voice. Just say, in the name of Jesus, get away from me. I find my contentment in Christ. I'm starting to get warmed up up here. Okay. <laughs> Verse 5, last truth, okay? Every sign and wonder points the world to Christ. Now let's look at verse 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders. Verse 12, Acts chapter 5, don't want to leave anybody behind. Are you there? Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were... Sometimes done, is that what it says? No. Regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. And none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. That means people that were getting saved, left and right. One day there was 3,000 people. Can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people? 3,000 people, your arms were just so exhausted from bringing people up out of the water. I mean, they needed to go on an IV, Gatorade, protein bars, everything after they baptized 3,000 people. But here at Acts chapter 5, they're continuing to baptize people, many people. It says multitudes, multitudes. That is a lot of people of both men and women. And then they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, some, believe, some people believe that... Uh, that the miracles stopped with the book of Acts. And I've already said, I just think that's biblical. But I do believe as a pastor, I believe the apostolic age of the miraculous 
everyday, regular, supernatural miracles of the 12 apostles, I believe that age has stopped. But if you follow Jesus for any sort of time, you will understand that God doing signs and wonders is absolutely going on left and right if you're looking for it. But we can get distracted looking for the signs and the wonders that we miss Jesus. So that's a caution for us today. And that's why the point number five I make here from this text is that every sign and wonder points the world to Christ. Look what happened when these signs and wonders were being done. What happened in verse 14? More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. People were coming to know Christ. That's, they didn't just do this to, 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 to make the social media news. They didn't just do this to be on the 5 o'clock, 10 o'clock news. They didn't just do this to stir up a crowd. They did this to bring people to Jesus. That's why these things were happening. This year at the Southern Baptist Convention, Nick, uh, Nick Ripkin and his wife Ruth, they were uh, longtime IMB missionaries in Africa and other places all over the world. And by the way, that's not their real name. Uh, it's just their name they go by. And, but they, they're authors of the book. I, I don't recommend books very often, but this is one you might want to write down. The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin and his wife Ruth. But at Southern Baptist Convention, they were asked, because we've heard for years now, many years, that, that Muslims will have dreams of, of seeing Jesus in their dreams. And, and Jesus is telling them he's the Messiah, not Muhammad, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And then we're seeing thousands of Muslims come to know Christ. And so people ask Nick uh, on the stage at Southern Baptist Convention, is this true? And he looked at his wife, and he just chuckled. He said, well, a few times. And then he said, well, a few thousand different times. It's happening all the time. In 2000, the early 2000s, late 1990s, several times, Pastor Yoon, a Chinese pastor, broke out of a notorious Zingzhou maximum security prison in China. No prisoner had ever escaped this prison. It is reported by the official investigation by the Chinese government concluded that Brother Yoon received no human help in his escape. He walked out of the prison on two broken legs. Physically impossible, but not with God. Eyewitnesses, prisoners, they saw him walking across the courtyard. Miraculous. My friend Eugene Bach, the Back to Jerusalem organization, recently these other believers have invented a pill, a small pill, and on that pill contains the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, a hologram. It, it, you hold it in front of you and it pops up in the air, the whole Bible. You can scroll through it. Genesis to Revelation. Just a small little Christian organization, limited resources, when Google has been trying to do this for years. Those little are being developed right now to go to North Korea, go to Iran, go to Tibet. The whole Bible in the size of a pill. I'd say that signs and wonders. It's really good science, but these people that developed this, I believe God was helping them. Don't you? Kingdom's on the move. God can do anything. The Lord Jesus can bring your dead life today back to life. 
Maybe you can't say, Pastor, I cannot say, my God, my Savior. When we're singing that song, I want to sing that for my life, but I can't. Friend, today you can. You come to Christ. You, you lay your life down. You receive salvation. You simply say, God, I, I want to admit to you that I have sinned against you. God, I want to receive the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross in your place. He was a substitutionary atonement for your life. God, I want to receive that that grace that was purchased on the cross. God, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And God, I want, to, I want to receive Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. Maybe you've never done that today. and Maybe God is convicting you right now to come to Jesus, to come home, to be set free. To be set free totally, to be received by God. Would you come today? Come to Christ. Now, the consequences of that decision is going to change your life. It means you've got to get plugged into a local church. You've got to let people get involved in your life. You need some winged men, winged women in your life. So to review before we take the Lord's Supper this morning, every follower of Jesus needs a winged man if we're going to follow completely. Every action is determined by the object of our contentment. Every decision we make has a consequence. Every person feared the Lord in the early church. And every sign and wonder points the world to Christ. We're going to have a few, just a few seconds for you to reflect, just to prepare your heart. And we're about to proceed with taking the Lord's Supper. And so if we can right now, every eye closed, every heart, bowed down, being sensitive to God's presence. I'm going to ask